the bellows from page to stage. And welcome back to the Tuttle Block podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. I am, of course, your host, Michael Cruz, and this time The Bellows is back. This time with a discussion called From Page to Stage, an exploration of the genesis and production of Pearl Harbor Chautauqua, recorded on October 17th, 2018 at Theatre Pass Marai in Toronto. Rebecca Hooten of the Bellows interviews part of the creative team behind Pearl Harbor Chautauqua. Justin Miller, creator of the fabulous drag persona of Pearl Harbor, composer and musical director Stephen Conway, and stage manager Giuseppe Condello. They take us all the way from the rough beginnings at Summerworks to the striking revival tent production at TPM in October of this year. Before we get to the discussion, I want to remind you to support the podcast at Patreon.com, where I have started to post extra content available only to those who subscribe. In October, we posted an update from lighting designer Michelle Ramsey and her work with Opera Atelier in Italy, as well as other juicy things she's been up to since I first interviewed her in 2014. You can only hear from Michelle if you subscribe to Patreon, where I'll be posting other extra content over the next month or two, so subscribe now so you won't miss out. But for now, let's let's join Rebecca Hooten and Pip Bradford of The Bellows and their discussion with Giuseppe Condello, Stephen Conway, and the fabulous Pearl Harbor herself, Justin Miller. Uh, I am Rebecca Hooten. And I'm Pip Bradford. Uh, missing today are Kevin Hudson and Christopher Ross, as well as Michael, Michael Cruz. Cruz. Uh, oh, so Kevin. It's a, it's a girls' club <laughs> and the Bellows panel. Um... They're all doing lovely other things. Uh, we miss them, but we are glad to be here together. Oh yeah, we're so glad to be here. Um, we'd also like to thank, uh, of course, TPM, our uh, ever accommodating uh, hosts for this. Well, not hosts, but yeah, they hosts. Are hosts. hosts. They let us stay inside their house. They let us stay house. inside their house. Uh, Thanks, TPM. Because what you can hear me super clearly over here. Oh, good. Look, it's so great. Who's surprised that you can hear Pip from three feet away? Your audience. <laughs> no one. No one. No one. Um, uh, anybody who is listening, you're missing out on a wonderful bartender who we will tell all of our audience to tip well and tip yeah. well. Uh, and uh, yeah. Um, anything else? Let's get started. Uh, today we have a wonderful panel uh, who have worked together for quite a while. Uh, I will allow you to introduce yourselves, however. So, uh, to, we usually go, anyone who's not here, we usually go left to right, but now we're going to go. We're going to go right to left today. Right left, to no, left. we're going to, we usually go left we go to, to right. Shh, everybody, shh, I can't do directions. We're going to start we're going to start with Giuseppe. We're going to start with him. <laughs> Giuseppe, go! Uh, I'm Giuseppe. Uh, I'm the stage manager for Pearl Harbor Chautauqua. I'm Stephen. I do the musical accompaniment for Pearl Harbor Chautauqua. I'm Justin, and I'm Pearl Harbor. Beauty. Thank you all for joining us. <laughs> wonderful. Happy to be um, here. So, first question would be, uh, how long have you all worked together? We'll let Justin field this one. 
Thanks for throwing it over this way, <laughs> Sep. Um, so uh, Giuseppe actually goes back to uh, the very, very first thing that Pearl did. Or was it the very second thing? Uh, but four years ago or so now, um, when we were putting on little uh, in and out one day guerrilla shows at Video Fag, and then Stephen uh, and Pearl started working together about two years ago. Two, two and a half. Two and a half now, yeah. Um, for the first incarnation of Pearl Harbor Sunday School, which actually happened on this very stage right here. Um, so yeah, so uh, veterans of varying sorts, but veterans both. Lovely. Um, so one of the, the goals of this, um, I also just want to mention that we have uh, Derek, who's also worked with Chautauqua, I don't know for how long. Yeah, let's uh, have a, a, a little snap, snap, snap for Jareth Lee. Yay, Ironically in the dark corner, but our brilliant lighting designer, <laughs> uh, who makes this tent so beautiful and atmospheric. Um, and uh, Jareth has been working uh, on this show since it uh, debuted at the Riser Project. So in, in the early months of 2017, yeah. It feels like forever ago for barely a year ago. But all, yeah, forever ago and then like so immediately, uh, like just behind us. It's so great to have this conversation here where the tent is right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. we are in the space where uh, I think this podcast will go out long before, or long after anyone can actually use it to come see the show. You fools if um, you didn't come. Yeah, if you didn't come, you, you, you'll be missing out. Um, but so thank you for coming if you did come. Yes, exactly. That's, yes, that's true. Uh, one, right of, on. <laughs> one of the things we wanted to do uh, with this particular panel is we wanted to get together some folks who've been working together for a long time um, because, of course, every process is different from, you know, writing a show all the way to making it for an audience, putting it up there. Um, but you can really get into the intricacies when you've actually worked together for a while and know how your process works. So uh, let's start with the very beginning of the process, uh, which is like, Justin, you, you're the uh, the playwright of uh, Chautauqua. What, what sort of a, a process literally getting it onto the page for you? Um, literally getting it onto the page. So um, Chautauqua was born out of the ashes of that uh, show Sunday School. Um, but as with a lot of my creation process, it kind of has um, this intense writing process where I'll try to figure out, you know, uh, 10 or 15 minutes and then put that up and see how an audience is reacting from it and, like, grow and water the seeds that way. Um, the, the kind of school of uh, buffonesque performance that, that I'm a big fan of and that I'm like trying to, to march forward and, and hold the flag for is like in the vein of um, Karen Hines' uh, Poxy. Um, and, uh, and she taught me that uh, when you do dangerous and delicate comedy, it's not enough to be charming and it's not enough to be clever. You gotta be smart, you know? Um, you have to ensure what you're doing is worth the risk and, 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 and that it's actually gonna hit your target. So there is like very precise writing and then there's also this very live relationship with audiences and those two kind of build hand in hand. And I would be totally remiss if I didn't say that I'm so lucky to have uh, an amazing dramaturge, Sandra Belkowski, 
who is a veteran of like golden days of Second City in the 80s and 90s, directed Karen Hines's Poxy Plays and collaborated with her and John Turner on Crawl Space. I call her my good witch. She is amazing. And, uh, and she's the one who first said, how about a tent when I was talking about this show? So it's her. That's the tent. Um, so uh, obviously you can't do it alone. So uh, what part of the process uh, do you start bringing in other people, and what what order do they come in at? Hmm. Well, probably the the first person to be brought in at this point is Stephen because, like there really is not much pro performance without the amazing accompaniment and like musical underscoring and accentuation and uh and and uh musical genius of stephen conway slash brother gantry um <laughs> or or maybe just gantry in in non-revival uh settings but um so stephen and i um like put the material on its feet um, and then when it starts to accumulate and become something a little bigger, generally uh, Giuseppe and Rebecca Ballerin, who is the artistic producer at Pearl Harbor Presents and has also um, been a part of this company since the very beginning, first show in a little like uh, three-character cabaret. Um, and she's the first person who put me in drag by casting me in her Hedvig and the Angry Inch, and that's where the exploration of Buffon through drag started. So then they come in, and um, I really feel that in the team that uh, I, was, I was so fortunate enough to work with in the Riser production of Chautauqua are the people that I want to turn to and work with uh, again and again. So um, then at that point, it's looping in Jareth, looping in uh, Deanna Choi, our incredible sound designer, um, looping in Joe Pagnan, who is our production designer and also someone I know from St. James Catholic High School in Guelph, Ontario, where he directed me in several Sears Drama Festival plays. So we go back way long ago. Um, And then always uh, Sandy's benevolent and deliciously evil advice in my ear. And uh, and then in the rehearsal room and uh, leading up to production and performance so much time with Byron LaViolette, uh, our director, also the director of Moro and Jasp, who uh, has such an understanding and an appreciation and a love for audiences and ensuring that like they are taken care of. So really the perfect uh, fit, you know. This team is just mm-hmm. the tops. Like They're all so <laughs> goddamn brilliant. It wasn't a mistake that we asked you guys. Yeah. Oh. We, we know. We agree. Um, so obviously Justin's written the show, so doesn't need to do an initial read because it's already come out of his brilliant brain. Um, so what is uh, the initial read like? And we'll kind of go to the two of you for you when you've, I mean, obviously this show has grown incrementally, but perhaps you can speak to that. The initial read? Like the first time you, you hear it or see it. Uh, to me, I, I just, I laughed like a lot. Um, I think Justin is hilarious. Um, and I just, you know, when you see it, when I first saw it, it was more of like a run in Lemon Tree, uh, run through the lines. And like, yeah, it's just, 
even in his voice and delivery, like it's just such a magical play. Like it's, yeah, it was beautiful. Do you take any sort? Do you start taking notes right away, or do you sort of let mm. it happen and then? Yeah, I kind of let it happen. I mean, I definitely clock the moments where like light shifts change or where he depicts there's a sound and uh, and stuff like that. But otherwise, once we actually get it on its feet, I'll be more precise with that. Mm -hmm. And for me, everything is just a total snowball until it actually exists. I register, you know, elements and bits and pieces here and there until it starts to look like the thing that it actually is. So. To me, there's no sense of what it is on, on the initial read, because I know that it's always just going to keep on morphing and transforming and developing um, into, into something whole. And in this case, it's not fully whole until the audience is actually there. And that's what we've come to know about the show so much more after doing it a number of times, right. that it, uh, it really depends so much on who's in the room. That's exciting. Um, so there's obviously, you know, numerous steps uh, as you go through. So um, how does the process change from, say, when you, you first got it in your hands to then you're, you've uh, got your sort of rehearsals and production meetings? Do those come hand in hand if you're always in the room? Or how do those work? What kind of design elements are coming in the room or outside of the room? Yeah, I, I think, um, like... In these small acts across cabarets and comedy shows and drag shows and things like that, Stephen and I build kind of like a scaffold or like a, a, a rough shape. Or um, we at least build the components. And then when we get into the room, I kind of put them together and be like, all right, I'm going to attempt to climb the scaffold now. And generally, it'll start to you know, sway and fall and give way, and pieces will, will fall off. And then other people who are in the room will be like, OK, well, what about you know, moving this part of the scaffold here and there? And it, it really um, does become a kind of process that involves everybody's eyes and ears and hearts um, as we shape and refine it. Um, and uh, so, so I bring, I bring, um, I think, much more of the intellectual arguments of the play into the room, and then the true heart of it that sort of exists um, in in tandem with that is found through working with these amazing people. Mm -hmm. We also like try to bring as many elements as we can into the space we're rehearsing in. So we literally set up like sheets along the walls at our rehearsal space as if we were in a tent and uh, hung some string lights and stuff. And then we would bring in like uh, test audiences every once in a while and sort of see how they react to certain things or how we could adjust and tweak. I guess we should say also for the record that Pearl Harbor Chautauqua is a play that takes place in a revival tent. I don't know if that's been explicitly yeah. <laughs> said. We just keep saying tent, tent, tent. It's not like camping. It, you know, it's this uh, canvas revival tent that seats 40, and each, each revival is for an intimate audience. Yeah. Um, and it does really have so much to do with their personality as individuals and as a collective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And stands at uh, 10 and a half feet tall at the spine, for all of you imagining on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And on each side, it's seven feet tall. Ooh. And uh, lengthwise, we have 30. And uh, widthwise, it's 20 feet. <laughs> so Good. picture that. And then there's 10 benches in there. 
There you go. I mean, if you're listening and you don't know about Pearl Harbor stuff, I, I encourage you to find out more about it. Yeah. I, Giuseppe, I feel like you're selling real estate or something. <laughs> like, this, is, this is housing alternatives for, a, uh, for an indebted Toronto. <laughs> Giuseppe Candelo selling you canvas tents. But only until October 27th. That was actually the initial read of the initial read of the script was oh, yeah. the dimensions of what the tent would be. That's great. And then nothing else. Yeah. What are you talking about? we got to do a show. What are you talking about? In this tent. Um, good, good. Good to know about you guys. Um, so question about in terms of uh, outside of the, the uh, text-based or, or how, like staging and things like that, in terms of design, when does design, when do design elements come in uh, and what does that look like in a production meeting? Or do you have separate production meetings for you, the way you guys work? We tried to meet about like once a month. Um, like we knew the tent was there from the start. Um, well, maybe we should talk about like mm -hmm. the development process of uh, how the tent was first introduced at the Riser production, like in, in that rehearsal leading up until that point. Great. Please. Do you remember any of that? Because no. I have a pretty foggy memory of it, too. Um, it's it just was, always uh, been, and it's and always been that way. We were rehearsing at Lemon Tree uh, when we were doing, um, when we were building the production most actively. You know, since April 2017, which is when it debuted in workshop at Riser, it has been, like, constantly massaged and evolved and honed as we keep mounting it. Um, but at the time... Uh, we had a um, really amazing designer, um, Joe Pagnan, who sort of created all the dimensions of the tent, which as the central set and prop, you know, and the, and the space where all the imaginative and creative play happens, it's so integral. So it was his, like, um, research and then his, like, building it in terms of its digital dimensions. And then its construction happened in Hamilton by uh, an incredible artist named Haley Reap. Haley! Uh, Haley Reap, or at uh, Reap Workshop. Reap Workshop. Yeah, um, who is uh, a puppeteer and somebody who can apparently build goddamn anything because <laughs> she single-handedly <laughs> created this out of uh, a lot of flame retardant canvas that I had sent to her in Hamilton yeah. from the States. They just um, built the steel table for Secret Life of a Mother at Theater Center. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Everybody check that person out. They are wonderful. Um, but we weren't able to interact with that tent because of its size until we arrived that week mm. of slight rehearsal and tech at Riser. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is so much a character in the show that it was really only at the very start of that run that we started to really get to know and understand that character that we had only imagined before. Yeah. Um, and uh, yet another like essential component, the live audience, getting the tent, you know, all these things that just kept sort of layering on top of this initial idea and, and uh, impulse to create this kind of more experiential play. It was a jaw-dropping moment walking into the theater center the first time and seeing the tent and thinking, oh, it's real, this thing that we've been talking about. Because I remember in the first production meeting, you gave us like a, a bullet-pointed list of all the ideas you had for what you wanted the show to be, what you wanted the structure to be, 
what kind of experience you wanted to lead the audience through and how you wanted that to be structured along all these kinds of lessons and, and what the sort of, you know, almost like vibe was that you wanted to get from within the tent. But until I stepped inside of the tent and saw the lighting and everything, I thought, oh my God, it's real. Um, and it's like this magic trick almost that never gets old anytime the tent has come up. There's still that you know, flip moment of, oh, it's real. It's finally real. And the space has been made to have people inside it. And that's what's going to make it really real. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And I guess like without, like it, it's because of the incubator space that it is the dimensions that it is. Like it was yeah. built for that space. It was built for that space. It was built for uh, sitting in that concrete pool. So yeah. I guess that's how, I guess that's how it ended up being 40. <laughs> it certainly wasn't like a divine number that I no. picked in my head or something. Yeah. So I guess you don't have to take it. It's, oh, okay. I'll take it. Hi. So I guess mm-hmm. I, what I, what I understand from this conversation is that, um, the tent was an idea that happened before you had finished developing the show. So like the idea of the tent very much drove in some ways, the direction that the, the final idea of the show took. Yeah, Yeah, certainly, certainly. And, uh, the script was nowhere near finished. Um, it was probably existed in like a two thirds, uh, form when we actually started rehearsing together, um, at lemon tree studios. And, uh, <laughs> Pitch for Lemon Tree. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, you said Lemon Tree like 80 times. That's good. You should, everybody, rent um, and uh, And then sort of, I feel like at a certain point, the well runs dry when I'm just writing it. Or one of the things that's much better about like letting it kind of evolve with the energy and the feeling of the room is that it, it goes places that I wouldn't even necessarily predict if I was just to sit down and write it and, and try to be like an intelligent writer about it, you know, there's often something so much more satisfying that you actually find, you know, working with people. So, um, I said, um, as though there was another part to that sentence, but I actually didn't have anything. The other, the other part is that any Pearl Harbor show is a living, breathing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Before I get off the topic of um, production meetings, um, I have a question here about what do you find helpful uh, as people who are not in Justin's brain? What do you find helpful to learn in those meetings and like talk about in those meetings? Hmm. Justin, you cannot answer this question. (laughs) (laughs) What do I find helpful? Oh, Jared, save us. I'll save what I can. Uh, I think it's the production meetings are very valuable in terms of connecting with the other designers. So between Joe and Deanna and myself to really put together the strong sense of the world that we are trying to create. And also just to check in with Byron, our director, and make sure that we're still on the same page. Um, in each and every iteration uh, that we've done from the first riser to some works to sending it away on tour to a couple of cities to finally here at uh, TPM, the show has evolved. So the, the overall scope of it has changed each time. The show itself and uh, uh, the essence of it ha- has pretty much stayed true, but I think overall uh, the form uh, that it takes has shifted a little bit, and we will always want to make sure that we honor the essence of that. So yeah, it's just a great check-in for us. Yeah, thank you. Very helpful. 
Any any other thoughts? Does they don't have to be? Well, it's always good to check in, especially when Justin is such a gracious host. He usually supplies <laughs> uh, some baked goods of sorts. Water Solid. makes it helps us get comfortable and before we get into the, the nitty gritty. <laughs> this guy. But no, it is it's always good to touch base and make sure we're all thinking about the same thing and it's it's also uh, amazing to see in production meetings because I usually just sit back silently in production meetings. I don't have a lot to say because most of what I do happens in the room. Um, but watching all the designers and everything interact, they just get it. Like everything about the show, they just get. I don't know what has gone on in in you know heads and on pages beforehand. Obviously, some some amount, but um, everybody in the team just seems to understand the show. Uh, very intimately and seemingly instantly. That's why you've got a good team, it seems. That's yeah. great. I love that. Um, we talked a bit about, well, I guess we haven't even gotten into it yet, but um, we talked a bit about how the show has sort of moved from different place to different place. So I'm sure by now you have a pretty good understanding of what you'd like to have accomplished and what you'd like to know going into your tech week. Is there anything in particular that are like top three for you or however you want to talk about? Um, I guess number one is like the space size and like what the grid can handle um, in terms of like how much could it hold and like, you know, where can the lights fit that won't be too close to the tent, you know? Um, but yeah, during Riser and Summerworks, we had to take down the tent in 15 minutes and put it up in 15 minutes. Um, so we kind of got that down to a science. Um, so when it comes to going to new places, we, we like to we just need to find out like what kind of rigging equipment they have and um, basically yeah what the space is like really yeah great mm -hmm. yeah Giuseppe um, Mirabella uh, Lydia um, Rebecca and Mika Champagne like were. They gave a way more impressive performance at SummerWorks getting this beast of a tent up and down <laughs> so fast. <laughs> like, it, it was truly awe-inspiring. Mm. And um, in the times that we've been on tour, we uh, went out to BC this summer. Uh, Giuseppe is absolutely the archangel because he's, like, technical director, production manager, stage manager, and performative <laughs> stage manager because he has a presence in the tent, too. Um, and uh, like, is and associate lighting designer. <laughs> lighting designer. Dang, mm -hmm. I have him in my focus. phone as Archangel. Just, just <laughs> Beautiful, I love that. Um, sort of the next step after that. Um, how do roles change when you're in Tech Week? Because obviously, the way that you are in rehearsal, mm -hmm. the way you are in production meetings, are probably different from, or are they? Well, I guess like during Tech Week, um, I sort of make, I send out a schedule, make sure that the crew knows what they're doing, and uh, I'm sort of watching it happen. While uh, Justin is usually making sure the costumes are in order, or like puppets are okay, and all the props and stuff are fine. Um, we sort of, I guess, divide and conquer. If like I'm feeling like I'm a little stressed, I'll like hand some stuff over, and uh, yeah, I guess during Tech right. Week, it's more. Yeah, we try to keep the performers like a little more light work and then like, yeah, just it's less stressful for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Giuseppe and uh, Rebecca 
are, are both so vital. And um, it's a bit awkward at times for myself because I don't have the language or like the competency in uh, tech things uh, to, to really talk to them effectively. Um, but they're, I, I trust them completely with uh, my life and they're just phenomenal. Um, and then I sort of like stand around and I worry and I fret and I look worried and fret and, and that's basically my role for the week. That's a performer's process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. And I just hang out and go, wow, the tent, oh my god. It's nice that you can know that going into a week. I know the only thing I'm going to say all week, wow, the tent, oh my god. Um, fantastic. <laughs> and you want me to sit over here now? Okay. Wow. <laughs> fantastic. Um, speaking of, like, you were talking about schedule, I just have a question here about, because, you know, the, for the listeners at home, we're also trying to figure out how we get all through all the steps. So even though it might seem obvious, some people have never done this before. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, a lot of many people, uh, or they've run tech weeks, but not efficient ones, which is my question of <laughs> how do you run, how do you run an efficient and sort of effective tech week? Um, so for this show, we had a, a 12 hour day where the first half of the day was basically getting the tent up. And the second half was all lighting, hanging cable, speaker, hanging cable. And then the second day we had like um, an eight hour sort of focus and like levels, sound and lights and cueing. And then um, we got into a tech rehearsal that night. So that would be another like four hours after that. And yeah. And then the next day was like uh, some notes in the morning and then a dress rehearsal in the afternoon and then the preview at night. So yeah. So it sounds like very efficient. Yeah, you really just need <laughs> three, days three days. Around? Yeah, three days or something. Yeah, ooh, ooh. three days to move in. Oh, got a ooh ooh from Pip. And there's uh, like a lot of preparation and planning that you guys do, independent of the work that we do in studio, just like the rehearsal work, ensuring that all of that is going to go super smooth, super efficient. Yeah. We make sure we have like the rigging equipment we we need, and like we know the distances from the grid to the tent points and. Um, yeah, just make sure we know everything we can before going in and make sure we're prepared for whatever comes our way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you've done the show a number of times in a number of different spaces. Uh, is it always a three-day in? Yes. Is that like part of your so, rider? No, no. in no. Victoria yeah, it we went up one. and we performed <laughs> it that night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we knew, didn't we find out on our way there or... We, we arrived in Victoria and then discovered that we misunderstood. We thought we had one full day and then another day and then we were and performing. Then the show? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we actually only uh, could like move in and then perform that same night. Oh. Um, but it was like, well, this is great. We have an extra free day in Victoria. Uh, <laughs> how lovely. Uh, in Victoria, eat Yoni's Donuts. That's our plug for uh, eat Yoni's that. Donuts. Go to Souk's Potholes. Yeah. But, Guys, um, we, do, we don't have Google ads attached to this. It's not going to work like that. I hope, we reach, I hope our viewers, listenership reaches Victoria. That's great. Um, yeah. Who goes to Victoria? But yeah. Read right in, viewers. The same, sort of, same sort of thing that, um, like, the prep... Uh, that we do to go into Pass Mariah is the same that when we travel to Victoria or Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, it's only because of uh, that prep and and how cool as a 
cucumber, Giuseppe's, despite everything, uh, that we were able to get it up and performing in one day. Mm -hmm. But for a setup this big, I think like the preference is certainly two, um, just so that we have all the time to ensure that we're maintaining the integrity of like how incredible uh, and subtle Jairus lighting design is around it, or how um, perfectly timed and like uh, soft and, and ambient Deanna's sound design is. Like trying to make sure that wherever we're going, we just have all the, all the specs ahead of time so that we can do as close as we can to their great work. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't have to tell us how amazing Giuseppe is. The Bellows has a long been <laughs> for Giuseppe. Preach. Thank you. Um, so then I think an interesting thing, because you've, you've toured this show and that's not a thing that, that necessarily all shows will get to do, um, what's the sort of process like, I know you were just saying like you do all your prep work for each place, but is there anything additional that you can speak to when you're going somewhere completely new? Um, yeah, I guess we, like in Victoria, they had a, a house plot for us to, uh, to sort of refocus, so that definitely cut a lot of the time. Um, so we basically just had to hang the tent and make sure that we could point the lights in the right direction and get the focus done in time, and then speakers work and we're good type of thing. Um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say that like, um, if you have the luxury of arriving wherever you're gonna be a day or two ahead of time, take it. One, so that you can do cool things there, but two, so that you can go look at your theater, meet the people, mm -hmm. make friends with the people, buy them coffee, um, mm -hmm. like get to know your, what we dubbed King Tech, like who's the person <laughs> who's in charge of the menu. Um, I love it. And, uh, nomenclature, King Tech. King Tech. <laughs> because we have such an unconventional setup for this show especially, but I think anybody traveling with a show like, mm -hmm. like understand the workplace, that you're going into, who you're going to be working with, who you're going to need to turn to when something inevitably is like, oh crap, that went wrong. Like um, when we arrived, we have a couple um, small par 16 birdies in the show that I had just bought new and two of them didn't work out of the box. But King Tech Owen <laughs> from the amazing uh, Intrepid Theater in Victoria Long uh, <laughs> took them, grumbled, took them into the workshop and fixed them. So like, I think um, that, that was probably the thing I would most recommend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's nice to build that relationship so it's not like our team and your team, but it all gets to be one team for, for the show in the days that it's uh, in the place that it's at. Mm -hmm. oh. This is such a convenient organization, uh, way that we've organized this. Um, looking, hi, Jareth, you don't have a microphone on, but I'm going to talk to you through my microphone. So looking at the rig that I see in the air here, it looks like your house rig, like of the house plot stuff, is fairly sparse. It is very sparse. And that's a, come, come stand near Pip. Hi. So, and that's, is that a deliberate choice or is that just a, a factor of the fact that the whole show happens inside of a tent? Um, design wise, yes. I tend to think of it as two separate worlds. There's an exterior of the tent and there is an interior. Uh, the bulk of the uh, significant lighting shifts of the show happen within the context of the revival that Pearl is putting on. And that's everything that's contained within the interior of the tent. And everything on the outside is not to diminish uh, design, but 
complete gravy. Uh, you're supposed to get a sense of the outside world, but you're not supposed to ever notice anything that's happening. So I think on the outside, I have a grand total of 24 lights. Wow. That's it. Uh, and they just uh, gradually take you uh, from afternoon through sunset into evening. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And if you ever notice that something has gone, has shifted on the outside, I have done something very wrong to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what I'm looking at on Saturday now. Um, so I guess whatever, and all the stuff that's internal to the tent travels with the show, yeah? Absolutely. Uh, there are string lights, as you would think, expect to see in a revival tent. And there's also a couple of elements like uh, little birdies that we keep on the floor as footlights and also uh, Giuseppe is our wonderful follow spot master in addition to running the show as an SM he's also running follow spot during the show <laughs> Archangel yeah. Yeah. yeah he's the Archangel tech which is above the king tech <laughs> there's a hierarchy guys let's, let's keep it real <laughs> um, amazing thanks those are all the lighting questions I had I just was like while well, we were talking about lighting I was looking at it and I was, I was very excited about it I do actually have a question while you're over here, and this question is uh, for all of y'all as well. Um, but just in terms of the difference between working on this kind of show that you, you're currently doing, where it's more of a sort of ongoing creation process, and then if you've worked on shows that are more of a set script, not necessarily together, but uh, or, or even now that the show is sort of more set as it is, uh, rather than you know throughout the past year and a half, um, what, what are, what are differences in terms of say, let's start with re the rehearsal process. If you've worked on those kinds of shows. Um, I've, I would say the rehearsal process is, <laughs> I don't want to say, well, because I, I know them so much, like, or so well, um, the rehearsal process with like Chautauqua is a lot more fun and less, less like. You know, uh, we're like a know. family. Yeah, we're like a family. Like we come yeah, down and we hang. It's more like we're. It's more like we're hanging out instead of rehearsing. Whereas like, with um, set scripts and set blocking, like, uh, like if I was doing like a, a show with a dance piece or things like that, I need to be way more um, more in tune with the uh, movements of the actors and where they are when they say the certain things. Whereas like. Pearl kind of goes with whatever the people are doing in the tent, and um, yeah, there's there is a lot more structure to the structured scripts, I would say for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> good, yeah. good. That's a great. You, you can quote me on that. <laughs> we will. It's going in the blurb. Uh, on Chautauqua, I feel like it's a little bit more of a, I'm playing jazz rather than playing from a classical score. Oh, oh. Nice. And we're done. That's all. <laughs> it's Mike over drop. now. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I look like a very cool person right now. That's Just always picture true. the coolest thing you can, guys. You actually are over the course of this conversation looking more and more like a GI, which is like really interesting. I'm a vintage queen wherever I go, <laughs> in go. both forms. Um, for myself, uh, when I get to work on other people's scripts and stuff, um, I don't have the benefit of thinking that uh, a line doesn't work, so I should change it or write it different. Uh, you know, you have to... There's, there's a different kind of process about like 
combing through and trying to understand the character's intention and draw them out that way. And one of the nicer things about returning to a show, uh, like we've returned to Chautauqua a couple times, is I'm able to do a little more of that, even though I continue to like keep changing and tweaking and, and honing moments and lines and things. It is nice to be able to like think about, okay, why, why did it happen this way? And reconnect to that in a more actorly sort of way. Mm. Yeah, interesting. For myself, uh, the only other rehearsals that I have outside of this are rehearsals with bands. And for that, it's, it's making music for its own sake, for its own performance, recording. Mm -hmm. But with this, it's really nice to make music knowing that it's in the service of what Pearl is saying and what Pearl is doing. And even you know, down to my expressions on my face of whatever uh, I might be projecting in the space, I always think of it as kind of just being like Pearl's shadow. So for me, it's just practice on how to follow where Pearl's going to move and knowing that if Pearl's going to say something or move in a different way or have an inflection that's a little bit lower, a little bit higher, than it was the last time. It's just about um, getting really good at following Pearl. Yeah. Um, but but making it look like it's happening at the exact same time. Yeah. We're just like constantly scatting <laughs> and like always in tune with each other. And the it, jazz club. Yeah, the mm -hmm. jazz club, absolutely. Um, like in, in every performance. And I think like we, we work really uh, in concert with each other that way. Um, Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many, like, I just really just want to actually just hear about the show more, but I, that's not really the point of the podcast today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just want to talk about how you guys create. Um, in terms of, say, let's get into specifics in the rehearsal hall, because we kind of jumped a little bit away from the rehearsal process. Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of tactics do you find are helpful? Like, I know you, you kind of just... You're talking about the scaffolding that moves and shifts. Are there like specific things that you like to do to make that happen, that, that shifting and the building and the creation? I guess it's a lot of just like running moments that we're questioning and then talking about it after and then trying it in a different way. Um, I guess like our director, um, Byron, he kind of just like, I don't know. Like when I get the rehearsal, the schedule for the rehearsal that day, he's it's kind of more more flexible. It's a lot a lot like yeah, we use this hour for the stuff that we think we need to work on, and then we'll use this hour to talk about it, and then we'll use this hour to sort of adjust and see what that looks like. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's really important not to be uh, afraid to just like go and just do it, um, and and see what happens and see what. Uh, comes out that's worth it and what has to be thrown away. Um, Byron, at the beginning of the process for developing the show for Riser, gave me an exercise which I think is uh, really helpful um, for creators and writers, which was write the review you want of this show in 150 or 200 words. Cool. And ultimately, what you write, you know, it's, it's not that useful. Um, in terms of like what you think you're gonna get right about the show, but it does show you, it does like draw out of you what you want people to be talking about and how you want them to be feeling and what you want them saying when they come out of your show. So when you identify those things, and for me it was about the fact that it would be an audience experience and, and a coming together of audiences, mm -hmm. 
that really informed, okay, so that's the big goal and that's what we got to work for. And then when we came back to the show for the first time, a few months later, as we prepared for SummerWorks 2017, uh, we all sat at the table and wrote down on cards five things that we think is special about the show. And then we all compared our answers and see, okay, like what's everybody saying along the same lines? And we organized those into categories and then, again, understood what do we feel as individuals and as a team is the priority of this show? What is it delivering? You know, where are the parts that there's more dissonance, you know, between us and that kind of thing? And I think those are really useful exercises. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so, and so I know that directors can also sometimes act as uh, dramaturgs, but you do have a dramaturg. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're working with, sorry, what, what is her name again? Sandra Belkovsky. Yes, shout out. Um, uh, when you're working with Sandra, does that happen before you even get in the space? or? Yeah, yes. definitely. Uh, it's her killer instincts and wit that uh, really help inform the attack, the satiric attack of the piece, the buffonesque elements of it. And uh, a lot of that is much more table work. So it's working with her in her kitchen bringing her something, you know, and being like, I wrote this thing, tell me what's wrong with it. (laughs) And she's like, there's so much wrong with it. No. Uh. Because I don't think, I I know a lot of people barely know what a dramaturg is, let Mm -hmm. alone how to work with one. So what's been, what, can you sort of describe that relationship and how that works for you? Yeah, um, I also barely know what a dramaturg <laughs> is, like if I had to define it. Um, Very important person. I th- Smart person in the room who just kind of gets it and is like a, a little fly on the wall. <laughs> well, I think, I think it, for me, it's like it's got to be your kin, like the, the person who understands what you're going at and what you're trying to do. And uh, it's often helpful, as it certainly has been with me and Sandra, to like have somebody who knows and has, has done this before. Um, she comes from this tradition of Canadian clowning that I really much like a lot of my training and a lot of my philosophy as an artist comes from. So we fit together so well. And uh, I think we we both are a bit of uh, are, we're a pair of stinkers. We've got mischief in us, uh, so we really fit that way. Yeah, stinkers, you betcha. Um, <laughs> you betcha. Kin, but with enough critical distance to be able to challenge you while supporting you. Yeah. I think that's the definition of kin. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she uh, she. Gets it. She gets me. She gets what I'm wanting to do, and she. I just love spending time with her. She's sincerely one of my best friends. Um, Beautiful. So, I th- I think definitely find that person who's better and smarter than you and ask them. <laughs> Lovely. Um, that's great. Um, I haven't checked what time it is. Oh, we're at 45 minutes. Great. Go for a little bit. We can go for a little bit if everyone's feeling okay. How you guys Actually, doing? This is a good like drinks call. Drinks, drinks, drinks. Well, absolutely. Sure. I'll double up if, if you're offering. Right, sure. Well, all thank right, you. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> the barkeep. Yeah. And the sound mixer. And the host. Yeah. It's an all girls affair. <laughs> yes. Please. It is. It's perfect. Okay. Um, 
So we talked a little bit about Byron and uh, sort of direction and things like that. And uh, obviously Byron is not here at the moment, so we can't get the words straight from him. But I'm sure having worked with him for quite a while now, you have sort of a sense of his process or approach. Would that be fair to say? Maybe could you speak to it? Because I know like some people with directors, you know, it can be very much, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is how it goes. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe that's a little less the case. Um, I wonder, so he, he likes to sort of um, bring everything we have into the space. So like for Chautauqua, it was make the tent in the rehearsal space. He wants to create the world that we are building as much as we can, uh, just so we can like get a better idea of it, a better feel of it, and sort of shift it from that way. Um, and then he would like challenge Justin a lot, like on on certain things, and question what he's doing a lot, and question like what that this or that means, um, which I think was helpful in the process. Um, but yeah, he's he's a good brain to have in the room for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very analytical. I haven't seen it as much for this show, but I've I've seen his notebook for other shows that he's working on, mm -hmm. and it's just a bunch of charts and graphs and stuff, but about what's going on narratively. Because <laughs> oh, he, he did a bunch of time as um, a user experience designer, didn't he? Yeah. Like, the, the things that Byron graphs are not, like, the arc of the plot or the narrative, but the arc of how the audience is brought through the experience and how they're feeling, you know, about that sort of thing. He's so good to consult because uh, he always has the audience's best interests and feelings at heart. He's their like mm -hmm. number one proxy and uh, and defender. And um, because the nature of this show is so collaborative between Pearl and the audience, the nature of his relationship with not just me as like writer performer, but with everybody in the room that is so much a part of making this feeling real. It's very much like collaborating and uh, and accentuating the best parts of ourselves, you know? Right. Yeah. He always talks about giving the gift to the audience. Beautiful. Um, I just had a, a thought that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, for those at home who don't know, uh, we've mentioned it, but Pearl Harbor is a drag queen. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, if you're not aware, again, please look this uh, beautiful yeah, show up and you'll see. Pearl Harbor, an E at the end of Pearl and a U in Harbor. Yeah. So We're that's not very just important. talking about the army base. <laughs> <laughs> that's an important factor to discuss here. And the reason I bring that up is I'm wondering when you bring, uh, like, say, full costume or fa like full face and all that into your process. Right. Uh, <laughs> or do you? It's more about bringing the heels into the process, I think. The heels at a certain point, yeah. <laughs> sometimes a hat. Um, it's it's rare that I have the luxury of actually doing a dress rehearsal where I'm actually dressed how I will look because of a couple things. It takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Makeup's expensive. And I'm not one of these people who's like, I just love putting on makeup. I wish there was an easier gimmick to get to the gooey, chewy heart of people yeah. in the way that the drag queens can mm -hmm. occupy this immediate sense of, of intimacy and urgency with their audience. And that relationship is like 
really uh, intuitive and instinctive to audiences. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I have often said to my fiance, James, I'm like, I really wish I picked an easier gimmick to base my career on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, when, when you're putting it on, it can be kind of fun, though. Um, Good. In terms of like the actual transformation, but boy, taking it off is miserable. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Um, yeah, I think I remember seeing you uh, do something at, at uh, Buddy's, and it was the first time that you had the long wig, and you were just like, what did I do? Why did I make this choice? Yeah, so that, I, I had been performing as Pearl for like three and a half years at that point. I had never worn a long wig. Uh, so I wanted one for this show, for the show Battle Cry, Songs of Warfare and Gaiety, that Stephen and I are developing with buddies. And um, the very first time it went on my head was the show, was the actual show. And it kept getting caught in my fake eyelashes and stuck in my lipstick and gloss. And I was eating it through the whole show, which is like 14 songs, and just going <laughs> And I had already, I had already realized like high heels are awful, but then I was like, oh, long hair is awful too. Every societal expectation of how women should look is awful. <laughs> The end. The <laughs> we're, end. We're done. Yeah. End. End of podcast. Um, I think that's the I second time I've just been like mic like, drop. Like, three times today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because co costume is such an important part of you know of a being a drag queen and b this show it kind of bring it creates the life of of the character. So that's interesting that that it sort of takes a a final form only. For showtime, yeah, yeah, sort of special for the audience. Yeah, it is. It is very special. Um, it's it's not something that I, I personally, you know, derive a ton of satisfaction from. But boy, what it does to and with an audience is so worth it. That like, it doesn't matter if your toes cramp a bit, and it doesn't matter that it like one you might be trying to peel medical grade adhesive out of your eyebrows. <laughs> Because it is worth it. Love that. Um, I'm. Does anybody have any questions in the audience? <laughs> no. <Hey> Scarlet. <laughs> and, and all the other audience members who are not making faces at us. Um, there, there's so many of them. They're just so quiet. Faces at me. <laughs> um, they're so quiet. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. We do have a question from the audience. You have to, you have to come up because we, we don't have an odd audience mic. mic. Christopher's gone, so we can't unlock that cupboard anymore. Yeah. <laughs> nerd and rewriting a production schedule. Listen, I'm sorry, I'm being a creep in the back row. Uh, <laughs> hi, what is your number one secret tip or trick that you have learned while doing this show that you would like to share? Like something that you take from working on this show that you want to bring to your next production. It can be like, <laughs> like always bring a hot chocolate for a late night Q2Q session. I don't know, something like for you or for your work in the future. Use bobby pins for your wig. Is it yeah, bobby pins are A+. Plus. Yeah, what's your secret <laughs> tip? I think you're the new host. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. I think always carry... Um, Quick links, bull clips, and pins around. 
Mm. <laughs> like they're all very useful all the time. Um, yeah, I, I usually try to try to make sure I have about fifty of each. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. They're in my backpack. Yeah, I've got a few <laughs> right now. Like every day. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it's that the secret to making new arrangements of previous previously existing songs is just trying to figure out how to play those songs, doing it wrong, and then sticking with that. (laughs) (laughs) That is a hot tip. That's a good tip. Hot take. I clean my beauty blender after every show because I deserve to treat myself with a fresh sponge each time (laughs) I beat my face. Excellent. Love that. Yeah. Jareth, do you have any any tips, tricks? You have to come over here, Jareth, because microphones are real. I know you're not a sound guy. <laughs> I, I, just make it look good. I don't know. <laughs> you sound like MR16s don't always work out of the box. <laughs> yeah, a disappointed father. And it does look good. <laughs> it's so good. The tip is make it look good, and it his does look good. His tip is mind your business, because Jareth has propriety on his ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you make it good. He's not going to make it good for you. <laughs> well, on that note, um, <laughs> I don't know what that note is, but thank you so much for joining us. This has been a bellows. This has been a bellows. Um, thank you. That was another Bellows discussion from page to stage. Next time, a charming chat with designer Dana Osborne. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at thetitleblockca and on facebook.com slash thetitleblockpodcast. You can send us comments and requests by email to thetitleblock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. I'm Michael Cruz with his radio voice apparently today, and I'll see you next time on the Title Block.